Barton mothers would give their sons over. Yeah, they would. Yeah. To the fathers, to the men yeah. collectively, wouldn't they? At a certain age, um, whilst it was a very brutal way of doing things, yes. nonetheless, it, it marked that that transition, that rite of passage, and yes. the release from the mother and and, and into the world of men. Uh, and and they had a way of, of passing over uh, once they'd confirmed the boy, their son. And a way a mother does that is obviously to, to, to give all the love and nurturing that the child needs and then to allow him to form his identity as being different from her, the separation which is important, and then you're going to be like your father. Now the father then should say, yes you are, but you're not ready yet. I'll give you some idea of what it means to be a man. Welcome back everybody to Young to Live By. Now over the last two weeks, one week, two weeks, something like that, we've been building up a little mini series on the mother complex and the response has been really, really good. It's been very, very humbling. We really appreciate that. Thank you. And so we thought that, well, the natural progression, like in lifespan development, is to move from the mother onto the father, at least to touch on that for a few videos on or, or so. Hopefully that's useful for you guys. So, I mean, we've spoken briefly before, but I guess just to remind the guys, the, the, the idea of healthy lifespan development schema is when a child is born, they're attached to their mother and the mother has a specific role. And as a child gets older, usually there's an instinctive push towards the father. And obviously the mother and the father, if they're sorted out instinctually, they, um, it, it, they facilitate that movement onto the father. Then the child or the adolescent moves on towards friends. And then from there, you move on towards a partner. Now, I want to ask you guys about the differences in this between men and women as well, actually, mm. to make sure Good we cover sort of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we've covered the mother stage, if you like, of development and what happens mm. with that. But mm. what happens if that is not moved on to the father stage? Yeah, thanks, James. Um, we really need to get back to basics on this, I feel. Um, so it's really clear there is a difference in imprinting uh, for a child of either biological gender onto the father than from the mother and, and those differences are subtle and they're unique to both of the original biological genders but when, for survival and for adaptation it's more important that the child adapts and quickly onto the mother that's for good biological mm. reasons uh, the father is different. The father is the first real social role that we engage with as children um, that goes beyond the normal remit of the mother. Uh, and that's why there's such a lot of conflict and, if you like, why the Oedipus complex for Freudians forms in the way that it does. But um, for a boy, it's, it's vitally important that the mother confirms the fact that not only is the child loved and connected to the mother, but is different in some way to her. And that difference is to be reflected in the relationship that he should have to his father, which is one of identity. The boy is a proto-father, a proto-adult male. Um, and the process of moving the attachment, in part from the mother towards the father, will be gradual. But the, the core of that is identity for a boy. He has to identify with the father so he can move into relationship with the wider peer group. Um, and in normal development, this is through uh, friends in childhood and then into adolescence and then on into the reproductive stage of life. That's what biology intends as a baseline. Obviously, there are, there are all sorts of variations from that that are possible and are, and are quite normal. But as with any of these stages, there is a pathology uh, which can typically form and the pathology in relationship to the father it can be as damaging as it is with the mother, but it's, it's in a different way. Mm, okay. Is that the same with men and women? 
Well, would you say, women, Paul, that the, the, the significant difference is that it's the opposite sex, the father is the opposite biological sex for a girl, whereas it's the same sex for a boy, and that facilitates that in a different way. How do you feel on that? Um, I think, yes, very much so. Um, I think we've, we've mentioned this before, that um, women, daughters, are prepared genetically to... Um, receive men and therefore their fathers as being somewhat strange and, and alien to them for obvious reasons um, and that there's probably good a good genetic basis for that as well as obviously them being different uh, in, in terms of experiencing them psychosocially as well and it, certainly um, the dreams and the fantasies of, of of daughters play out in that way too they re reflect this kind of um, skewed towards the the negative and and, and to um, to receive men uh, negatively initially more than positively even it just, just seems to be the way that things are set up and it, it seems quite a strange thing to say but I think as we've said before there's good um, there are good uh, survival uh, reasons for that potentially um, you know if we were to go uh, right the way back to kind of stone age civilizations mm. and, and look at the value of women uh, young women being drawn towards men who were more um, aggressive and were prepared to go out there and to um, to hunt and, and to bring the resources yeah. back for, for the family so the, there are good genetic reasons for that and like I say that tends to be borne out in, in the dreams and the fantasies of, of young women as, as they too go through adolescence the, 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 they experience um, images of men which tend to be dark and threatening and, and sinister mm. um, so Def I mean that's that's a definite difference, and I think you've actually said to me, Steve, as well, um, that strangely that you you get that opposite spin for men in that they tend to want to draw positive women towards them yeah. as as they go through adolescence and beyond. Yeah, there's an idealization. Would you agree, uh, James, of the feminine that you get uh, with Jung's classical anima? You mm. don't necessarily get with the classical animus. With the animus, you tend mm. to get a default. You're saying negative, negative. Yes, you and uh, yes. with men when they think of the platonic form of the feminine for example uh, and as it appears in art and literature mm. uh, that kind of thing you tend to get an idealized platonic form mm. uh, and there's there's almost certainly a biological reason for that i'm sure you could elaborate yeah upon in, that. in i mean in jung's works in particular and in sort of more orthodox jungian's works at least from from my reading the the anima does have that idealized image and mm. it's almost as if the way it's written about is more vibrant Mm. And I wonder if that reflects on the psychology of the people who are writing it. Yeah, you know, for on the sure. Psychology yeah. of, of young, because you know, it, this is this is a thing. When I was looking, you know, I like putting things on the thumbnails to the videos and mm. the intro to the videos. Yes. There's loads of anima paintings around, but for an mm. animus painting, that's kind of a more difficult thing to find. And if they yeah. do exist, it sticks in your mind less, mm. which is incredibly strange. Yeah, that, that, that's that's interesting from the classical psychodynamic point of view. Mm. From the biological point of view. Do you think there might well be a difference uh, in terms of reproductive viability when under environmental stress? For example, that the, the dark animus figure that Pauline's mm. describing is likely to be your, your stereotypical rather than archetypal, or are they different? Bad boy. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. And in that sense, uh, traits that might be considered psychopathic mm. 
today mm. could have been very, very adaptive in the past. Yes, and this is so so deeply mm. ingrained genetically that yes. that is favoured yes. from the genome yes. as a potential adaptation under terrible environmental pressure, the Paleolithic period, for example. But the reverse might be true. Uh, and that's why we have this idealised view of women, innate in us, it seems, men, yeah. that you would want a woman who is not promiscuous, who is likely to breed only with you and not with all the others, that kind of thing. And to avoid and to settle the pressures between the sexes under pressure of a Paleolithic environment, it's mm. important that men do idealise women to some extent. If they didn't, they're more likely to harm them, if you think about it. Um, and you get this in war, of course, you get mass rape, you get murder, that kind of thing. But if men are programmed not to want to kill women, but to breed with them, to settle down with them, to idealise them, that's less likely to happen. That will favour the, the genome of the species as a whole. But under the pressure of war and competition between male groups, women will realise some men will do those kinds of things. So if they can ingratiate themselves in with the bad boy, their chances of survival are higher. This is in a Paleolithic environment, not the 21st century. Yeah. But there will be an echo of this in the genome and it will express itself through psychology. I, 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 from observation, I believe this is true, but also biologically it makes sense that women, I think at least from an earlier age, are under a higher amount of pressure from that system in the mm. genome and in your biology. Mm. Because a woman has to carry the baby for nine months and yeah. a man does not. Yeah. It's like a man can adapt and just sort of spray his seed all over the place. A woman mm. can't do that. Yeah. She's got to bear it, so it's like, is the husband going to stick around? Yeah. And so she's got to, you know, this is a thing, it's a cultural thing, it's like women mature quicker than men. They do. Which seems to be definitely true. And they do biologically as well. Yeah. Um, mm. you, you, you know, around the age of 11, girls are way ahead of boys at the same age. Yeah. And that's probably because they're, dare I say it, they're available in a Paleolithic, a Stone Age environment sooner to compete for dominant males. They have yes. to. So the reproductive age is going to be driven down under competition of a Paleolithic environment for women. Whereas men will take longer to mature physically because of the competition competition danger if an 11 year old boy is competing with a 16 year old other boy for women it's not going to end well in in a paleolithic environment and you see this acted out now even in school playgrounds as lads grow up this this ancient archaic instinct uh, or set of instincts are powering through in that adaptive way but girls need to compete for the men who are already in a position of power and strength so they should by uh, that perspective mature reproductively earlier it does seem to change as well so you get like a young man and when you i think when you first become cognizant mm. of any of these instincts at least to some degree you're interested in a romantic thing it is much mm. more idealized yeah. i think it could be a cultural thing i'm not sure it then shifts towards what's brought i guess pornography in a way it's like that type of woman it gets exciting you have a group of lads together and it's the yeah. one night stands yeah. then it always seems to come back again and flip so it's almost yeah. like a stage where you can go out and experiment and spread the seed and there's not much consequence because yeah. men have time. Mm. But I've not really seen that in women. It seems like consistently they stick to their particular type of man that they're after within certain variables. Yeah. But yeah. they don't have the time at all available to, to play the field, really. No, they don't. That has changed. And there, there is a cultural effect, uh, obviously, since the 1960s mm. and, and the cultural revolution, did yeah. I say there? Yeah. Uh, or the countercultural revolution. Um, we've seen changes in that and we've seen the results of that but as a biological template 
I think there are some interesting things that are overlooked and one of them I do think is the idealisation of women that kicks in almost immediately. Part of that is the relationship to the mother where that's positive Uh, and part of it is is there anyway even when the relationship to the mother is negative because when you see or encounter boys who've had a a bad time with their mothers they still idealise women largely yeah. uh, strange um, and the only way I can really make sense of that given how many hundreds and hundreds of men I've dealt with who've had the, 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 this kind of uh, issue is to say that this is genetic without a doubt and it's, it's very ancient mm. just as the opposite pole is uh, for women yeah. with respect to the bad boy the bad boy in today's culture will do them no good at all but they still find themselves attracted to that uh, default without even having to think about yeah. it it's on an instinctive level yeah I think that's a very interesting point you make, Stephen. It's one that that is frequently overlooked. And I think what it does actually, if we allow as women ourselves to think about it, it actually allows us to play to women's strengths because you've often said about women that when they're functioning well and relating well to themselves and relating well to men, they have a very calming effect on men. They do. And mm. they can be very influential in terms Massively. of... Yes, um, yeah. of um, maybe even decisive in some situations as to whether a particular situation becomes volatile or yeah. not. And that, that could be at a very um, individual level or it could be, you know, as you think you were suggesting before, during... Um, such times as as wartime yeah um you know what a women's um expression of their femininity uh, can play uh, positively that is can yeah. can play a huge role in oh, terms yeah, of how men react to things it can uh, it, it can in terms of getting a definite result for example in the first world war women and their femininity in that sort of mm. traditional sense was used to bring in hundreds of thousands of men into the military. Um, That's true. It is true. Yeah, it it was was exploited to do that. It was men of England, where are you for your women? And that just brought them in in their hundreds of thousands. It was Lord Kitchener's army. Mm. Uh, And they they shamelessly exploited that. Um, Whereas if those women were conceived of as being low value, and I mean that in a biological sense, Mm. you would not be able to mobilise the men to Mm. fight to defend them apparently i know there's all the political reasons for the war but we're talking about the way instincts were presented and manipulated we're interested in the dynamic we're interested in the underlying dynamic they they were able to do that because they exploited the image of the idealized woman and that brought hundreds of thousands of volunteers it didn't have to be conscripted yeah that's that's the point and you could actually see that working now, were that to happen, for example, um, during some of the, the we, we see these marches against COVID and, yeah. and, and so on, people not wanting to wear mm. the masks and the, yeah. the kind of marches for freedom, um, that if a situation, and I know it probably hasn't happened yet in this way, but if a situation was to emerge whereby... Um, the men were called upon to defend the women. Yeah, that would trigger. It, it would trigger. It would trigger them en masse. It would, you, absolutely. You, you just need the, the psychological mix yeah. of uh, 
the police put in a position, say, where they appear to be predators. And yeah. we did predict this would happen. We did, oh, yeah. yeah. We, predicted, <clears throat> we did on the channel months ago. It's happening right now. Yeah. Um, and if you got the right explosive mix of a group yes. of men there and some women being threatened or yes. violated in some yeah. way uh, by the police mm. who have been put in this role of being predators, yeah. uh, and then somebody just said something akin to the idea of men of England protect your women, yeah. that would kick off a detonation yeah. of instinct yeah. and uh, violence. So the government and the police have to be very, very, very careful about the way they're handling things. So pepper spraying women in the eyes mm. who are doing nothing, mm. not a good idea. Um, the instincts are, will take offence at that. And when they do, that's it. Bang, it's going to go. Well, so, there, was a, there was an incident with a young woman recently, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Where, yeah. where that came yeah. close to happening. I mean, she was a, a young single mother, probably about, you know, very lightly built. And she was bundled into the back of a, a police van. She was, yeah. Uh, and, and manhandled. And, and you could see that some of the men were very, very close to, to going and defending her. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, for whatever reason, they backed off or felt that they couldn't follow through. If she'd have given the signal, if she'd have given the signal of distress to them, that would have done it. Uh, And it would have been outside of conscious will or intentionality. Collectively, those men would have acted as one unit. And then that would have been the spark. That would have been the shot heard around the world at that point. And it is that fine. You've got to be very, very careful. Is that close to happening? It is that close to happening. And it's on the level of instincts. And we're not talking about archetypes here. You know, uh, we're talking about real fundamental things mm-hmm. which mobilise groups and mobilise people right down to the level of the genome. Mm. Mm. Completely different situation. Yeah. I hope I'm not making a prediction. We did predict on, on the channel that it would go this far. Yep. And we were right, and I think a lot of people thought that it wouldn't happen and that the police's behaviour, for example, wouldn't turn into predators, but they are doing. The, 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 the mobbing around like a shoal of piranhas... Um, yeah, there'll be five or six of them on one person in a feeding frenzy, literally yeah. like macrophaging yes, individuals. Um, it's not good. It's not good. Not good at all. I know people, and that's happened to them. It's, yeah. it's not even like you know, it's too far out there. Like the the data's there. Like you can see people are getting more and more and more upset by this. Yeah. And you can see that, at least in the UK, I can't speak for other countries, mm. that the 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 police and even the army now yeah. are mobilising very close to where we are. Yeah, the situation recently, or at least last year in France, this was pre-COVID when there was the Yellow Vest uh, movement, and that was growing exponentially, and the police were becoming more and more weaponised against their own population, and there was talk of bringing the army out. That didn't happen, but if it had, that would have been the ultimate test for the stability of that state. Um, would the army under those conditions side with the police or against them? If they go against them, that is the end. That's the end of that of that government, and it's the end of the stability in that society. There would have been another French Revolution at that point. It was that close, and then COVID kicked in, and that disappeared. But if you bring the military onto the streets now, and there are soldiers veterans being arrested by the police mob-handed uh, in london at the cenotaph um we saw two yesterday, yesterday yes. their 22-year service in the army suffering from post-traumatic stress yes. disorder yeah. that is not the kind of uh meme or information really that other soldiers will want to see or the government will want them to see that's already beginning to lay the foundation of, of conflict 
within the state itself uh, and that could become decisive. I'm not political about it. All I want to make clear is that this is predictable and something can be done to prevent it. Uh, what's been done at the moment is not good. It's not right. People are not thinking through this. People in government are not thinking through this properly. If it comes to it, and if you ask the military to decide between the people and what is appearing to be a coercive uh, government, you will get a revolution. I guarantee it. We're, we're not immune from that. Um, back in 1981, it nearly happened. Uh, and people who were alive then may remember it. But uh, the then Home Secretary, William Whitelaw, said to Margaret Thatcher about the toxic riots in Liverpool, we are that far away from a revolution and the army were told to be on standby. And I know that some police officers, because I was one of them, was thinking at that point, this is not good uh, and I'm not going to be asked and I will not carry out any orders to fight in a revolution on the streets of our home city against our own people. But now the police of today, different, different culture. Um, they're already going too far, in my personal opinion, so we'll see how that pans out. Mm. So you can say that uh, what we're seeing broadly at a political and cultural level is like a clash or a war or a dialectic even between yeah. the anima and the animus, between different people, different sects of people, or yeah. just as such as a broad category. Would it be fair to say then in the biopsychosocial model you can find the etiology of that yeah. down at you know, say childhood development in a way, not to completely yeah. reduce it, but yeah. they reflect each other. Oh, they, 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 all, they all reflect each other. Yeah. And uh, to go back on, on topic, back towards the idea of the father complex, uh, it's really the imago, the image of the father that's experienced by, uh, by boys that's going to shape their impression of their masculinity. It's the prime imprinter of that, what it means to be a man. You learn from your father. Although it's innate genetically, you nevertheless need that relationship to release it. Mm. And it's intended that it should be released biologically. And that's why we have culture in the way that we do that, pro that provides uh, that, that way of giving it a safe release. Uh, if it's not there and if the attachment then to the mother is too strong, uh, that brings its own pathology. If the father is domineering, aggressive, abusive and damaging in that way, that, that will create its own problems which are horrible to contemplate obviously in the life of a child male or female mm. so the father's role is very very important mm. so going through that, that that four stage schema then yeah if if that's not set the second stage the father's not completely satisfied yeah we can then infer that someone is probably going to have almost definitely going to have issues with friends yeah. and issues with finding a relationship or yeah. approaching women or keeping yeah. a woman or seeing the potential yes. in a woman or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, if you've got a stable enough society which allows peer groups to nurture a young boy, so the compensation for any anything that was lacking in the father, if that's there, then that's okay. You, you can overcome that. Mm, but if you're exposed to people who are abusive, other adults in loco parentis who, who abuse in whatever way that child... Uh, then that will further damage that adaptation as well, and then you will get a, a misdirection of the energy of adolescence coming through. And if it happens to a, enough uh, young men within a peer group, then you're going to damage the relationship to women and to culture and society mm. as a whole. So in that sense, the father is very, very important. Can I, can I ask you about a very, very brief case study then yeah, from please. my own experience, perhaps to illustrate this? So let's just say a guy comes to me and he's 
he can't speak to women. Every mm-hmm. time he goes up to a woman, he kind of chokes in, in himself. Yeah. He can't do it. He's got strong difficulties relating to other men. There's like a nervousness there that he feels. Yeah. He's in his mid-20s at the moment. Okay. And if we look at his sort of, um, if that, especially on that in loco parentis thing you're talking about, mother was very overprotective. Yeah. His father never really supported him, never encouraged yeah. him. He was kind of, he was there. He, mm-hmm. he wasn't really there. And then all the teachers were picking on him constantly yeah. to be like you don't the, the implication is you don't have potential you're shy and you can't speak it yeah. was one of them is the teachers used to say you can't speak why won't okay. you speak you can't mm-hmm. could could we say that you know i know it's very very broad brushstroke but you can see uh, a, a resonance there between how he is right now and the experience of those things that should have released his instincts genetically yes. in the past yeah yeah absolutely the way out of that for him is going to be a, a reconnection with those instincts um, not to become infantilized as a child mm. um, but to reconnect with his genetic potential now that's the theory of it the doing of it is unique to each individual of course because they live within a context and that context will support or not uh, any of the different ways that you can achieve that reorientation to instinct but fundamentally that's the important thing and if he were in therapy that would be the role of the therapist to help him find the right way to actualize his instincts, to reconnect with them, it's at that level. And this is one of the discoveries, if you like, of neuropsychoanalysis, that things have to be dealt with at the level of instinct and of emotion in order to correct for adaptive problems that have occurred earlier in life. Do you think, Steve, sometimes, though, I'm thinking about the role of the mother specifically here in in terms of how, say, a, a son would or would not you know, bond positively with his father um, is key as well because if if a mother binds her son too closely to her, uh, and often that is the case, then the son might not even, even if um, the, the father does have some negative traits, I mean, it may not be the whole picture. It may be that if the son had been allowed to access the father and the father's influence positively, then the father may not have turned on the son in the way that he did oh, as yeah. a way of guess, yeah. hitting back at the mother yeah, and, and that the mother's role is sometimes fundamental in terms of uh, whether a, a son will access his father's yeah. um, uh, you know, support positively mm. or not. Mm. Oh yeah, it, definitely. Yeah, I, I would say that that's definitely the case uh, within the sort of statistically normal family, yeah. if, if I can call it that for now. Yeah. Um, the mother will control the emotional bonds of everyone, mm-hmm. um, even if the father appears to be dominant, because yeah. the the subliminal relating and management of relationships will all go through the mother. She's the equivalent of the hypothalamus within the or the thalamus within yeah. the brain. Mm-hmm. Everything goes through it. It's a relay station, and it's the same with, with, with the mother. The mother's the relay station of emotion and relating within the family, and provides a stability that allows the father to be the face of the external world and allows children to feel safe or should do where, within the family. Yeah. But yeah, to go back, I mean, um, whether I should disclose anything mm. personal or not, what do you think? It depends how comfortable um, you are with that. But what I would say is that that uh, for, for women who do that kind of thing, it, it's so easy to make the father look like the bet noir. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he's, yeah. he's the one. He's the fault of all the font of all the, the difficulty and, and, yeah. and the, the destruction and, and yeah. so on, all, all the negatives that will play into yeah. that. But yeah. very often it's not the case. Mm. Yeah. Well, I used to get, uh, used to get hit. I'll, I'll call it you that did. by my father yes. quite a lot. Yeah. Um, my brother didn't, my elder brother. Um, 
and uh, I mean, it stopped when I got big enough. But yeah. uh, when I was uh, young, uh, you don't know. You don't know why you're being hit like that. And it, you know, uh, and loads of young young men and older men, when they, they think back, will will know about this kind of thing. Uh, but after my father died. My mum said to me that um, oh, your dad would always take out on you anything that was a problem between us, between yes. my mum and my dad. Yeah. Um, I cannot validate that. This is this was her account, <laughs> but I can see where that might be the case. So it's believable enough. But I think Pauline's offering something different there, offering the angle that it may have been caused by my mum, uh, as in creating frustration from her father. Definitely. Uh, which then meant that it was downloaded physically into yeah, me. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And it must be very difficult for fathers because, like you say, the mother's role is... Um, a mother's more involved with her children, generally speaking. Mm. And so in, th in that regard, she, she has more influence, both, both positively and negatively. And... You know, men do have a different role to play and they should have a different yeah. role to play. It, it's valuable in and of itself. Yeah. But if it's made to appear to be dark and negative and oppressive, it, it's just like, I guess I'm asking people to ask themselves if they are having difficulties with their fathers, be they sons or daughters, does the, the problem lie in the father or does the problem lie in the interaction between the mother and the father mm. and therefore yeah. there's a different dynamic that's a system, though. It's a system and then we're level, looking at the family, family as a system. system. Yeah. Yes, we are indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Would you give a weighting towards mother or father in terms of what you might consider to be statistically more important? Is it the mother, generally speaking? Or is it literally it's just a system and we've got to see which ones stand out more than others? I think the father can be replaced more easily, sadly, um, by a peer group and by institutions, provided those institutions are not abusive in and of themselves, and provided the peer group um, nurtures the the period of puberty and adolescence and adaptation towards relating. Uh, provided that's there, and culture has withstood this over the years, because it's been traditionally men who fight wars and go off and get killed. Uh, so in that sense, that mothers were looked on as being more important for maintaining the culture Mm. Uh, and for bringing up the next generation and on balance if, if that's the question then I would say the mother is more important mm. the role of the father when society is relatively stable for whatever period of time should be to be the interface with the world outside of the family yeah. and to prepare the child to engage with that he should represent the world and its limitations but being abusive of course now that's way too far but to do that, to be protective, to, to watch the boundaries, mm. yes. um, to protect the family from intrusion, um, from people who would do its harm, to provide, but, but to give example of action in the world. All of those things uh, are important and fathers should do that. If a father becomes another mother, there's a conflict there which will offend women at an instinctive yes. level, and yeah. it does. I've seen it happen, mm. regardless of any political view on that. Mm. So it's best for fathers to be fathers, mothers to be mothers, yeah. uh, and then things tend to work out properly. Mm. And then, uh, I guess just to get this clear in, in my mind, could you say that the friend stage or the peer group stage yeah. is an evolutionary failsafe then? 
Uh, yes. Obviously it serves other purposes, but it's yeah. like, you're not, because you're, you're never ever going to have perfect parents. No, you never. No, so no. they're there to sort of pick up the bits and pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what you get with boys is that when by the time they go to the peer group, there's an acceptance that they are men in waiting, they are proto-men, and they will be looking out to the wider culture uh, for how men form uh, and bond into groups, military groups, mm. for, uh, for example. And then the purpose of that group, what is it? It is to protect the tribe or the group. So they will form uh, these adolescent uh, groups, gangs, mm. as a proto-model for that. And of, of course, as I say in the past, when there was, I'm going to use the word, I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but wastage due to war of adult men, then the young boys have already been trained. And when you think about the Boy Scouts, the Boy Scouts were really set up to provide a militarised uh, group of young men who could literally move into the military as they got older they had all sorts of other skills as well but that was the primary purpose that's why they were called scouts they were being trained if you like to think in a military cohesive way in order to defend the nation that was the role that was the real role that's why it was successful and in the extreme if you look back into history when you look at the spartan education system in greece um that that was really really severe but that was all about preparing a new uh, generation of warriors mm. and uh, you had more than one father basically just as just as uh, sparta never had one king always had two sometimes three uh, to balance out the power but that splits the father amargo then, because the young boy then refers to the reference group, refers to the elders in the plural rather than one man. So it allowed them to do that and to develop this uh, collegiate view of what it was to be a man. Mm. That, they, they were very extreme, of course. But to come back to Sparta for a moment, I mean, yeah. Spartan mothers would give their sons over. Yeah, they would. Yeah. To the fathers, to the men, yeah. collectively, wouldn't they, at a certain age? Um, they would. Whilst it was a very brutal way of doing things, yes. nonetheless, it, it marked that, that transition, that rite of passage, and yes. the release from the mother and, and, and into the world of men. Uh, and, and they had a way of, of passing over. Uh, once they'd confirmed the boy, their son, and a way a mother does that is obviously to, to, to give all the love and nurturing that a child needs and then to allow him to form his identity as being different from her, the separation which is important, and then you're going to be like your father. Now the father then should say, yes you are, but you're not ready yet. I'll give you some idea of what it means to be a man, but you have friends, you have a group of men who'll be like me and my group of men, and you will take over from us as we, as we move on. But the way a mother did that in Sparta was to hand her son a shield and say, come back with this shield, or on it, yeah. meaning come back as a pile of ashes because you've been <clears throat> cremated after battle, or you come back with it as a heroic warrior. But you don't, you don't, you, you know, you, you don't come back as a coward. You don't run away. You you, you either come back bearing it uh, as a successful warrior, or you come back as a casualty and be honoured for that. There's no middle ground. You are a man. I'm giving you this shield. And with these words, I confer on you your masculinity. Come back with this shield or on it. Uh, very powerful, uh, you could say, in an archetypal sense, as Jung would understand it. But underneath that archetype, so-called, there are instincts. The mother's instinct to give over her son to the masculine. 
because that son would then become a proper warrior, would defend the community, and would allow her to live. Absolutely, <laughs> it makes it uh, makes the the mother's role so much easier and, if, if and she allows powerful. and powerful if she yeah. allows herself to do that. And as yeah. I think you're about to say, Steve, that releases her yes, as well it does. to become herself. Yeah, um, not and, to be over attached and not to yeah. be overly attached. Yeah. yeah. So it, in yeah. a way, it's a gift to both. Yeah. If, if they choose to see it in that yeah. way. But for fathers who don't initiate their sons properly, they are forced either to be to remain attached to the mother or to attach themselves to a peer group, a gang, and depending on the psychology collectively of, of that group, of that mm. peer group, will mm. depend how that young man enters adolescence and how he relates to women. Mm. So if the, the early adaptation to the mother was wrong and then the father failed as well, there is only the peer group left, and then what's the state of the peer group? Yeah. Well, you get a reflection on that from the culture as a whole. That will tell you. Um, gangs will always reflect the state of the culture that they thrive within. When I was very young, uh, in the 1950s, in single figures, uh, my mum bought a set of uh, books from which I, I learnt my history and learnt a lot of the values that I, I came to hold. <sighs> Sorry. Mm -hmm. I find that very moving. I can't, can't stop it welling up. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know if I can do it. It's too much. Simple thing, it's just a picture, but it's what I was talking about before about come back on the shield <coughs> or on it. That's the, that's the picture there on this side. And uh, that was when she tried to get me to link with. <coughs> My father, but also the ancestral line. Wow. <clears throat> and that's the power women have. Yeah. If, if only I, they I would see it. I didn't know consciously that would happen. Mm. That just emerged. Uh, and at a rational level, what I do know is where that's coming from. I know what part of the brain it's coming from. Mm. It's in the deep in the limbic system, right in the brainstem. It's got nothing to do with left or right cerebral hemispheres, nothing to do with that. It's emotional and it's to do with instinct and it's powering right up and right up from the genome itself where gene expressions triggered that, powered right through the brainstem, right through the emotional part of the brain and bang out into the cortex and then boom, yeah. lacrimae one die, boom, right out. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, the, that's what Jung called an archetype, but it isn't, it's an instinct. That's a representation of an instinct from culture. And that's where we get this idea of archetypes from. But it's deeper. It's much, much deeper than that. And it's ancient. That's a cultural representation of it. I'm no Spartan. I never have been. But the story encapsulated and created the vessel to express the instinct and the emotion that it powers up. And I had absolutely no defense on that against that. That was involuntary. Um, which is instructive but, but for me but, but if I were to say oh it's an archetype I would just veer off track and I wouldn't understand the truth of where that's coming from mm -hmm. but, but in the context of what we, what we were discussing that, that was the image yeah and you have held a shield Steve I have, yes. You have, in I have. former occupation. I did, yeah, I did. I have fought hand-to-hand yeah. and I have had people try and kill me and, mm. and um, 
Yeah, I've taken blow bad. Anyway, won't go there. No, but in, in the police, of course. In, yes, in, of course. in the police, and they're not the police. They, we were not the police of today. No. They are different. And when you had your head and, injury, uh, you were put on a shield. I was put on the shield. Yeah, fucking hell. Yeah, mm, I was. I was put on the shield, yeah. and there's a makeshift stretcher and dragged down yes. there and yeah. out of a burning vehicle. But um, I do not support the police to, of today. I do not support what they do. They do not represent me. No. They don't represent the traditions that I upheld and that I fought for. Uh, I have nothing to do with them. I think they're a disgrace. Um, and that's from my heart and from my instinct, from my guts, mm. my gut feeling. Uh, I, have, I have nothing, uh, nothing, no connection to them at all. Mm. Um, you are not there to oppress the people. You're not there. That is not your role. Sir Robert Peel would turn in his grave. You should be ashamed of yourselves, all of you. Anyway, that's aside. Uh, that's the power of instinct and yes, emotion. Yes. Do not mistake it for archetype. Archetype is a cultural representation of instinct. This is so different to, say, myself and other young men growing up. Because I can feel, like a feel phenomenon, I can feel the emotion that's coming up in you. It's real. Young men are in, today without, say, with the overprotective mums or with the yes. absent fathers, and they form these little groups of friends. It does become a little fantasy land. Yeah. It becomes like like um, personas and narcissism, and let's go out and randomly conquer certain women and things like that. Well, it, 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 it's it's sad. And it's like, I think I finally, you know, I think I understood anyway, but it's like that, I think, is the best example you've ever done of instincts versus archetypes. Because yeah. take that, it's like that's an example of an instinct that you feel. Yeah. Then you look at yeah. what the archetypes are, it's like, well, I need yeah. to get in touch with this. No. It's so no. sterile. It's hysterical. It's not going to do anything no. to protect you, no. the people you no. love. It's no. nothing. It's a no. waste of time. It is. It is. And, and it's not the, the fault of, of your generation that you've not been no. given a chance to do it. I mean... Um, to add to this, uh, at risk of, I'm going to have to repress this heavily. My father did not acknowledge me for what I went through. No, he never once said he was proud of you. No. Not once. He didn't confirm me at all. <clears throat> so I ended up in gangs, and even even when I was um, the things that I faced in the police, which I've, I've mentioned before. Uh, there was no acknowledgement at all, at all, not even a little bit, uh, for what I was going through. None. And I still not uh, disgusted at all. I don't think I've got the at, the... at this moment in time, I don't think I've got the strength consciously to contain it. But I do know it's not an archetype. That was an... an even in relation to my father's failure to confirm me, that is not an archetype. It's an instinct. It's an instinctive need. Mm. And... If you're unsure about what, what instincts are, please look up Professor Mark Solms, S-O-L-M-S. He's a professor of neuropsychology. He's one of the founders of the discipline of neuropsychoanalysis. Look up his work, study it, and get real, I'm afraid, about it. Instincts are real, so are emotions. And uh, archetypes are cultural transmissions of stories such as that one, yes. that one from Sparta, which is meant to, to contain the power of instinct through a narrative that gives you a way of understanding it. But it's an uh, afterthought compared it to is li It is literally an yeah. afterthought. So, um, yeah, look up neuropsychoanalysis, Professor Mark Solms' work. 
Um, he's on the internet. You can Google him. You can you can see his lectures, his questions and answers. And for those of you who are qualified therapists, you can go and study neuropsychoanalysis, as in fact us three have. Um, we're completing our own training in neuropsychoanalysis uh, to supplement what we're doing. Uh, mainly because it's exactly congruent with what Paul and I have been doing for the past 40 years because we know from real life experience that instincts are real. We do understand what archetypal images are, otherwise we couldn't be creative in the way that we are. We couldn't mm. have written all the film scripts, got all these Hollywood directors and actors on side. We know what they are. They are a vehicle for the expression yeah. of instinct, but instinct is the root of it all. Mm. Although beneath that there is the genome itself. Understand you, that fact. You have a biological self that includes your psychological self, that anticipates your sociological self as a continuum, as James said, of interacting systems biopsychosocially. Don't divide yourself up, don't reduce yourself. I, th I think when you say that, you get, you get a few comments sometimes that are like, why are you attacking me with that? It's like, it's, a, it's one, that's complete and utter bollocks. And two, you're doing it because you've seen the amount of pain people have gone through. Have, yeah, and this, then the systems that are currently very popular online or in real life, that all they do is seek to contain people and perpetuate that suffering. Mm. It's not, it's your instinct to help heal. Yeah. It's what's coming out. Absolutely. I've I've have seen terrible things and Pauline's seen terrible things in, in, in the NHS and the abuses yeah. and, and, and the terminal suffering of people who are in a, in a mm. psychologically distressed state. And... Yeah, I, I did the frontline uh, work in the police and I was still doing the psychotherapy training and experience as well. And I was divided neurotically between those two, one which was an adaptation to the outer world, the other which at the time was purely personal developments. And then that became my adaptation to the outer world, working clinically with people. But we all have to go through that, that phase of being quite fundamentally divided and neurotic because our instincts will push us. And that's the task of life is to adapt to them. Then you discover who you are. Individuation is the unfolding of your genome. That's what it is. Yep. It's the timed release of your genome. That's individuation. Now you can engage with that psychologically and make it more Jungian, but it happens anyway. We all eventually become who we are, but you can become more of who you could have been if you engage consciously. That's the best part of Jung's approach to it, is that fact that you can consciously engage with it and you don't have to give yourself up to unconscious forces or to social pressures or cultural pressures. And, and the task for this generation is like none other. I, 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 I feel for the guys out there who haven't been given a chance, they've been neutered, They've been used, not been given a chance to go through these ancient instinctive processes of adaptation and challenge. I really do feel for them. It does not diminish you, lads. It doesn't. Oof. You're up there with the best of every generation that went before you. Don't douse it. Sorry. That needs to be said, because mm. too many people are pulling them down. Mm. Sorry, I'll uh, recover <laughs> mm. momentarily. I hope you're affecting me with the with the fucking emotion as well, now, aren't you? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
You can't avoid it either. No, you no. can't. I, I so want to say so many things, but I can't. It's too personal about can't people repress that I care. It. Yeah, can't repress it. It's too strong. Right from the brainstem, right from your genome as well. That's where this comes from. That's what instinctive pressure is. That's what you feel, and it becomes emotion. Emotion is, is, is the, the conscious realisation of instinct, which is otherwise apparently unconscious. It's not. Instinct does have consciousness and intentionality all of its own. It's ego consciousness, which is cognitive. That's its limit. If you feel something, you're feeling it really deep down in your genome. And that's numinous. That's numinous. That is truly numinous. Just like when somebody falls in love and is animated at that level, that has nothing to do with archetypes. Archetypes are the product of the process of, of being in love and being animated from your genome through your instincts. It's an after effect of that. It's not the cause of it. That's how you understand the process of falling in love. It's it, how you understand hate. It's how you understand anything which is fundamental and meaningful in life. It's all reducible, but in a meaningful and numinous way yes, to instinct. It doesn't lack meaning it doesn't, for, it, for being instinctive. It, it gives it's meaning. It's not animalistic as no, people believe. No, not at all. Not at all. No, no, it gives meaning to life to be in touch with your instincts, to be separated from them, is to be profoundly distressed and neurotic, yeah. to be divided to that extent. Please resist it. If you're under any kind of cultural pressure to deny your biology, to deny your, your ancestral inheritance, that's a fundamental neurosis. Deny it. You don't have to be aggressive. Instincts aren't aggressive. They're all about adaptation, optimal adaptation. That doesn't mean killing people. It means relating properly. That's where Jung's anima comes into it. Mm. And the role of the father should be to, to bring young men through these adaptive phases of instinct, but he has to know what his instincts are himself. That He has to provide the stability, the masculine stability, for his son or for his daughter. He has to face the world. He has to be the face of the world, but not be harsh or cruel. To provide those the process of adaptation to what is a dangerous environment, to give both protection but confirmation, to release the children out into the world so that, that they've been prepared to face what's out there. But the women and the mothers have to allow that to happen. They, they do. They do. Yeah, they do. Where the father's intentions are good, they they have to allow yes. and encourage yeah, that. Yes. They should. They 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 should. Anyone who's out there suffering, you know, and they're into NoFap and all this stuff as well, it's fundamentally about instinct. The energy that's going into that is normal libido. It's normal energy for life that's being perfected into something else. Mm. The same with the pornography. Mm. Pornography is a symbolic representation of instinct. It's virtual. Mark Selms talks about this. He doesn't say about, about pornography, but he says it about thinking and about the justification that comes from cognition. Yeah. It's virtual, it's not yeah. real, it's not yeah. real life. So if you use pornography, you're having a virtual connection to your instincts rather than an actual one. That doesn't mean go out and do horrible things that you see in pornography. It's as horrible as it needs to be to compensate for the suppression of your instincts. If you bring your instincts up properly, they level out. And you find this, whether it's anxiety, depression, whether it's OCD or anything else, when you get in touch with your instincts, they back off, the feeling charge reduces, you feel better, you're more adapted. That's why they're the most fundamental thing that you have to deal with, not the fantasy of archetypes. That's the blue pill, I'm afraid. Archetypes are a blue pill, instincts are a red pill.
Thank you for watching this episode of Young to Live By. If you haven't already, make sure you download our free PDF for integrating your shadow. It includes the most advanced theory on the topic available anywhere on the internet, as well as a full practical breakdown. If you've ever wanted to integrate your shadow, this is honestly the way to do it. Thanks again for watching and take care.